we simply cannot allow people to pour into the United States undetected, undocumented, unchecked. And complete the dang fence. This bill that we will sign today is not a revolutionary bill. Cast down your bucket where you are. We come from France. And I am, you know, adamantly against illegal immigrants. They're coming in by the thousands. Just unbelievable. A wall is an immorality. Who are you rooting for? Those masters of the universe are at it again. You maniac! You blew it up! Welcome to Parsing Immigration Policy, the podcast of the Center for Immigration Studies. My name is Mark Krikorian, Executive Director of the Center. And today we're going to be talking about something that's been in the news, but probably requires a little bit of background to understand what is going on and what's likely to happen. And that's the issue of Title 42. That's the shorthand for the authority that Border Patrol has had since 2020 to just bounce illegal border crossers back into Mexico, at least some of them, without hearings, without asylum claims, nothing, based on public health concerns. And that has become the center of a discussion on immigration policy and border enforcement, even though it's not really a border measure, an immigration measure as such. And we have two people who've written a good deal about this and thought about it and worked on it as well. Art Arthur, Andrew Arthur of the center, as well as George Fishman, both of them attorneys with many, with actually decades of Hill and executive experience on this issue. And I think maybe we'll start with Art to just tell us what is Title 42? How did we get to this point? Thank you, Mark. When we talk about Title 42, what we're really talking about is a provision of the federal code set forth in 42 U.S.C. 265 that gives the Surgeon General of the United States the authority to prevent the entry of persons or goods when there is a known public health risk in the world that we want to keep the United States safe from. That law was actually passed the same week as D-Day back in June of 1944, and it's always been there, but it reflects a much older policy, and that's the idea of quarantine, which is an idea that arose in the 14th century in order to keep Italian coastal cities safe from diseases that might be carried in on boats. Just to be clear, it comes from quarante, meaning 40, because in Venice, you had to wait 40 days before you could get off your ship. Wasn't it in the Middle Ages where they'd catapult plague-infected bodies you know, over to the enemy castle? Yes. To in spread? fact, that's the opposite of what we're talking about here. But yes, anyway, go ahead. Go ahead, Art. Continue. But yeah, in this particular context, Title 42 was used by CDC beginning on March the 20th, 2020, in response to the global pandemic and what the Title 42 order that was implemented by CDC in March of 2020 did was it directed DHS to expel all aliens who are crossing the land borders illegally and all aliens at the ports of the land borders who are seeking entry without proper documents. And that was done for two reasons. First, it was to prevent the introduction and spread of COVID-19 within the United States. And second, it was to prevent the spread of COVID-19 in congregate settings like DHS processing centers that uh, CBP 
Border Patrol run down at the southwest border. The point of that is not to have a lot of aliens breathing on each other and on the agents and spreading the spreading COVID. Absolutely. And those orders were pretty rigorously implemented under the Trump administration. More than 87% of all migrants who were subject to Title 42 were actually expelled under Title 42. Now we've seen the percentages of migrants who are expelled under Title 42 decline under the Biden administration. It went from about 57% in 2021 to the 40% range in 2022. And more recently, it's dropped down to just above 34% at the Southwest border. And part of the reason why we've seen that decline is that the Biden administration attempted to end Title 42. They made an announcement on April the 1st that they would be ending the program on May the 23rd. And I think that's probably the point at which we want to begin our discussion. So before we get to that, I want to uh, just one point about the mechanics of this. This is something, George, if you can talk about. If we're bouncing people back into Mexico, Mexico has to agree. I mean, if they're Mexican, they take them back regardless. But if they're third country nationals, you know, they can, it's sort of like hot potato. It's like, or musical chairs or whatever the metaphor is. Once they're in our country, we can't just send them back unless Mexico agrees. How does that work? That's, uh, that's exactly right. And that's the same issue we had with the migrant protection protocols. AKA remain in Mexico. Remain in Mexico. Mexico is a sovereign nation and they have to either formally agree or acquiesce with a wink. Mm -hmm. And if they do neither of those, these programs cannot succeed. Right. So did they formally acquiesce or did they wink when we're sending people back under Title 42? Art, do you know? Yeah, actually, the Mexican government did agree as, you know, during the, our negotiations with the Mexican government to close down the border, which actually happened the next day, that they would accept back migrants who had been expelled under Title 42. But it's important to note, Mexico, like the United States, has a federal system. You know, we call it Mexico, but the formal name is the United States of Mexico. And those states along the southwest border also are, you know, sovereigns. And they're the ones who would actually have to provide for anybody who was sent back. One of the things that we saw, particularly just at the end of the Trump administration and into the beginning of the Biden administration, was that those states on the other side of the border complained that they didn't have enough space to hold families who were being sent back across the border. So they pushed back. And purportedly, the Mexican federal government had issued a law in November of 2020 that would prevent the United States government from sending any families back, although we've never been able to find that legislation. But the one thing that we did see was that those northern border states began to refuse to take back any migrant families who had been expelled under Title 42. And so the Biden administration simply gave up the ghost on that one and you know stopped sending families. Another thing that they stopped doing, and this was interesting, a judge, Emmett Sullivan, had said that the United States couldn't expel minors under Title 42 unaccompanied alien children. And so the Trump administration complied with that, fought it in court, and that Judge Sullivan was actually reversed on that issue days after the Biden administration started. 
But the Biden administration, again with a wink and a nudge, told its border employees not to expel any children under Title 42, even though they had the authority to do so. And then in the middle of February, CDC amended its Title 42 orders to exempt, I believe, except was the uh, word that they used, although why they used that word, unaccompanied alien children from being expelled under Title 42. So it's part of the um, process of shrinking the share of border jumpers who were subject to it. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. And in fact, this came into some scrutiny in the course of some other cases that took place, but that's another story for another day. Okay, so George, there's two lawsuits about Title 42, right? There's one where the administration is trying to end it and several states sued because they didn't jump through the right hoops in ending it. And then there's another lawsuit brought by the ACLU and others to cancel the underlying program. So anyway, just tell us briefly about these two lawsuits that seem they're kind of, it's almost like the administration is on opposite sides of it's sort of arguing to keep it and get rid of it at the same time. The Biden administration is trying to be too cute by half, and now it's up, up with the Supreme Court. But yeah, most of the Trump administration immigration regulations that I was worked on were stopped by the courts on grounds that they did not comply with the Administrative Procedure Act. A proper notice wasn't given. There wasn't enough rational reasoned explanation of some of the provisions. Therefore, they were arbitrary and capricious. And it was basically on those grounds that most everything was getting stopped, not necessarily on the, on the underlying merits of the regulations, but on these procedural violations. Right. This is before Title 42. Yeah, this was, yeah, this right. was all under a Trump. And right. now that the shoe's on the other foot and the same thing is happening to the Biden administration, there's all this shock and outrage over how individual district court judges out in the boondocks somewhere in Louisiana or Texas can stop a federal government policy. There was no such outrage when pretty much everything I worked on at one time or another got stopped on this basis. But yeah, a uh, federal district court judge in Louisiana ruled, as Art said, uh, the Biden administration early on in the administration said, uh, we plan to end the use of Title 42, mm -hmm. issued a memo to do so and a number of states concerned that, rightly in my mind, that the ending of Title 42 in conjunction with the border dysfunction otherwise caused by the Biden administration policies would lead to what I would call hashtag apocalypse now <laughs> on the border. And they, they sued. On, and on APA grounds, the judge in Louisiana said, yeah, get an injunction because it's likely the Biden administration did not comply. So that injunction made them keep it in place. Yeah, that was just an injunction against their attempt to terminate it. Right. Then, as you indicated, the ACLU, others, got together a class of aliens seeking asylum in the uh, U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia Circuit. Judge Emmett Sullivan found there to be a class of these aliens, so it became a class action. And he first tried to stop things. Then the D.C. Circuit intervened and said, no, we think it's, it's very likely the case that Title 42, in fact, does allow the government to expel 
aliens. I should note, incidentally, that it was before D-Day. It was in 1893 during a cholera epidemic that Congress first passed uh, this sort of statute. Not this particular one, but this kind of Yeah, I mean, over the statute. years, you know, who was responsible for it? The names of the agencies have changed. Right. Things like that. But the basic statute, 1893, because of a cholera epidemic, the only real time it was ever used, to my knowledge, was in 1929. I think that was President Hoover. Uh, there was a meningitis hmm. outbreak, and he used it to prevent ships from certain areas to come to the U.S. under this provision to stop the meningitis from coming to the U.S. But the D.C. Circuit said it seems very likely that this is very appropriate understanding of the statute. But then the D.C. Circuit did something which I think is almost a fatal error and a fatal blow to the program. The whole benefit of using Title 42 is you get around the totally broken asylum system Right. of this country uh, in which you know anyone claiming a fear of return is essentially here forever. And the D.C. Circuit said, yeah, you can expel an alien because of COVID, but you cannot send them back to a country where they might face persecution. Right. Well, if this eventually plays out, you know, what mechanism is there to, quote unquote, prevent someone from going back to persecution? It's the same Title VIII mechanism that's caused this asylum debacle in the first place. So, so you know, in my mind, it, it was that decision of the D.C. Circuit which seriously imperiled the program. But in any event, just shortly after the November election, Judge Sullivan came back and said, on reflection, not the Biden administration attempt to end Title 42, but the original Trump administration initiation of the use of Title 42 with the Centers for Disease Control orders establishing its use and ordering DHS to implement it and to enforce it for them as the statute provides, he said that was a violation of the APA. That was a likely arbitrary and capricious. And therefore, he enjoined the very use. It became a permanent injunction in his mind the very use of Title 42, the federal government, the Biden administration, did not seek anything longer than a like a three-week stay of his decision because, you know, as, as we know, they want to end the use currently. And so that was the December 21st deadline when it was supposed to end, right? Exactly. So, Art, why don't you pick up from there? So the December 21st came and went, but it didn't end then. So why did that December 21st deadline when Title 42 was supposed to end, why did that not happen? What happened in the interim after Judge Sullivan issued his order, the Biden administration had reserved the right to request a stay of that order, but they didn't do so. And consequently, the states who had sued in the Louisiana case, captioned CDC versus Louisiana, which is the one in which the district court judge had prevented the Biden administration from ending Title 42, went to the D.C. Circuit. They'd asked to be allowed to intervene in the case so that they could appeal and they could seek a stay of Judge Sullivan's order. On December the 16th, that was denied. That prompted the states to then turn around and go to the Supreme Court on December the 19th to ask the Supreme Court to review the denial of their request to be allowed to intervene. Again, now remember, the state's request to the Supreme Court wasn't that the Supreme Court review whether Title 42 was legal or not. 
The only request that the states have made to the Supreme Court is to determine whether the D.C. Circuit should have allowed them to intervene. In any event, that was six days before Christmas. Most of the justices were out of town. And so Chief Justice Roberts, who is the circuit justice for the D.C. Circuit, put a stay on the termination of Title 42, according to Judge Sullivan's order, so that the other justices could decide whether or not they would hear the state's appeal from the D.C. Circuit order that they're not allowed to intervene. I realize this gets a little complicated, but in any event, the justices actually all did have the opportunity to consider it. And on December the 27th, the court took away Judge Roberts' stay and implemented their own stay pending their review of whether or not the D.C. Circuit should have allowed the states to intervene, and that case will be heard in February. And so the, the important point here is, and I think a lot of people don't get this, and you, you said this, but it's worth reiterating, the justices did not say anything about the policy of Title 42 or even the legality of Title 42. It was, in a sense, more a procedural question of whether the administration was allowed to throw the fight, is what it amounts to, to use a boxing analogy. In other words, whether the states could come in and make the case that the federal government was refusing to make. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And, you know, just to put that into context, remember, on April the 1st, the Biden administration decided that it was going to end Title 42, but it was prevented from doing that. In fact, that case is currently pending before the Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit. So what the states are asserting is that, you know, rather than going through the notice and comment under the Administrative Procedure Act that they should have in order to end Title 42, the Biden administration basically is mailing it in before the uh, D.C. District Court by not appealing Judge Sullivan's order and doing what it wanted to do all along, which was end Title 42. In fact, keep in mind, Joe Biden, when he was running for president, stated that he wanted to end Title 42. So that is the issue. So this is kind of a version of that sue and settle strategy that the left very often uses. I mean, it's not the same thing, but sue and settle is kind of where you get your allies, you, like you get the ACLU or an environmental group to sue you if you're a Democratic administration. And then you say, oh boy, this is terrible. We have to settle this lawsuit. And then you give them what they want by changing policy without Congress ever voting on it. And so this is, in a sense, kind of, I mean, it's a, it's a cousin of that sue and settle approach, right? It's sort of a, yeah, sort of a kissing cousin in that they eventually did decide to appeal Judge Sullivan's decision to the D.C. Circuit, but then said, oh, by the way, could you please hold our appeal in abeyance? So appeal, but not appeal. I think Mm -hmm. their hope is they'll win in the Fifth Circuit and therefore Title 42 will go away. Will go away, right. Then there'll be no need, this lawsuit will become moot. Right. And so they'll, they'll never have to appeal. So they're saying they'll appeal, but they're not really appealing. I can certainly imagine if they lose in the Fifth Circuit, I think very quickly they would drop this appeal here in D.C. So I think it's, it's complete smoke and mirrors. So before we get to sort of what can we expect now, Art, you wrote a piece that recently, it's on our website, cis.org, about the inconsistency of the administration's arguments relating to COVID. In other words, that in the lawsuit or lawsuits related to student loan 
forgiveness, so-called. The administration is arguing for that based on the continuing COVID emergency. But in arguing to get rid of Title 42, it's saying that there is no COVID emergency. So if you could expand a little bit about on that uh, inconsistency. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the Biden administration has used the COVID emergency for a couple of purposes. One, it has you know extended Medicaid benefits and some food stamp benefits. But two, the Biden administration has announced on August the 24th that it would cancel up to $20,000 in student loan debt because the- Per person, per just person, to be clear. <laughs> right, $400 billion total because you know the individuals that hold that debt have been so adversely affected by you know the economic verities that have followed in the wake of COVID that, you know, they can't be expected to pay back the money. Now, they've been sued on that issue in two separate cases, Nebraska versus Biden and U.S. Department of Education versus Brown. And those are both said to be heard by the Supreme Court on February the 28th. In their lawsuit in those cases, they basically make the, you know, same argument that the COVID emergency declaration remains in effect that all 50 states and the District of Columbia and the territories are disaster areas. And, you know, the COVID continues to be a threat, you know, continues to kill more than 2,000 Americans a week, is the argument that they're making in order to support that $400 billion giveaway to uh, college graduates. But, you know, in Arizona versus Mayorkas, which is the challenge to the Title 42 policy, what they say is that the solution to an immigration problem cannot be to extend indefinitely a public health measure that all now acknowledge has outlived its public health justification. <laughs> so the Biden administration wants to have it both ways. And I suspect, now keep in mind that that Title 42 case hasn't been scheduled for a hearing, it's supposed to take place in February, that those arguments are going to take place on exactly the same day that Brown and Nebraska, the two student loan cases, are going to be heard the same day that Arizona versus Mayorkas, the Title 42 case, is going to be heard because the justices will revel in the inconsistency of the same person, uh, Solicitor General Elizabeth Prelogar for the Biden administration, making completely divergent arguments on the same day. It's sort of Schrodinger's pandemic, kind of, if you think about it. So she's going to have yeah. to engage in linguistic contortions of a extraordinary nature, you're saying. Well, this exactly. is, this is yeah. what lawyers do and nothing personal, a present company accepted. So, George, what now? Let's say it's, you know, they do hear it in February. What are the possible outcomes now? Well, surprisingly, Judge Gorsuch and Katanji Jackson had a dissent saying we should not grant the state's request on the basis that this is a policy fiasco, which the elected branches should figure out. It's not something for the courts. But It was it, actually refreshing to see a liberal justice saying that justices shouldn't be making laws and policies. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But recently, the Supreme Court on a number of occasions has granted states the right to intervene in cases to give state attorney generals or state legislatures the right to protect their interests when their interests aren't being protected. And one of those decisions was written by Judge Gorsuch. So, so it's not so extraordinary to allow states to protect 
their sovereign interests of states to intervene in other cases. The Supreme Court allows it on a fair number of occasions. So I would think that the states are going to be allowed to intervene. And if the Supreme Court decides that, does then the case go back to district court or circuit court? What happens then? Well, Art, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it would then go back to the appeal to the D.C. Circuit at the same time that, as Art indicated, the Fifth Circuit is considering the injunction issued in Louisiana. And eventually, the Supreme Court's stay on the termination of Title 42 will stay in effect until those court decisions are issued. And then I presume it'll go back to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court will finally have to, though sometimes they find ways of squirreling out of deciding the merits, right. the Supreme Court will then have to decide on the ultimate legality of Title 42, et cetera. Okay. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, though, Title 42 is going to end. And so, Art, if you could basically give us some ideas on what is it that people expect is going to happen when Title 42 ends. There's been a lot of apocalyptic talk. I think some of it is justified. But since they're not using Title 42 for more than two-thirds of the people they're arresting now anyway at the border, will getting rid of Title 42 really make that much difference? Title 42 will make a difference or has made a difference because, again, even if two-thirds of all legal migrants who are apprehended aren't removed under Title 42, that means that one-third are. And we've seen, you know, more than 411,000 migrants apprehended at the southwest border in the months of October and November. And once Title 42 ends, DHS estimates that anywhere between 12 and 18,000 migrants per day will enter the United States illegally. That's going to be anywhere between two and three times the number, already high numbers, that we saw in 2022. And this is a huge problem because, as you and I have discussed before, Border Patrol has the capacity to deal with about 1,000 illegal migrants a day. At the point at which it gets 18,000 illegal migrants per day, the border will essentially be erased. Border Patrol is going to be so overwhelmed and unable to do its job, there won't be any border enforcement whatsoever. Now, DHS has taken steps, you know, made plans for how it's going to respond to that, but it's getting pushed back even on those plans. One of those plans is to take air marshals, pull them out of airplanes, and send them down to the border to process aliens. Although the air marshal union has written a letter to the White House saying, hey, look, you know, we've got a real Al-Qaeda problem right now. We still have one. It's starting to be resurgent. Yeah, so so what could go wrong taking air marshals off of airplanes? I'm sure it'll just be fine. Honestly, Mark, if you look at the 9-11 committee report, the final report of the 9-11 committee, they talked about how for years before September 11th, border security had been ignored. It had been understaffed, undermanned, under-resourced. And yet, we're living very much in a September 10th age under this Biden administration because they really don't care about security at the southwest border. In fact, Border Patrol apprehended 98 aliens who were on the terrorist watch list at the southwest border in FY 2022 at the same time as 599,000 other aliens evaded Border Patrol apprehension and entered the United States. As you know, I have a national security background. I was staff director for the National Security Subcommittee at the House of Representatives. 
And the people that I speak to who are still in the national security space are very concerned about the implications of this border policy. It's foolish, it's reckless. George and I were both on the hill on September 11th. And, you know, I don't want to speak for him, but I can assure you, I never envisioned that we would be in a situation like the one we're in today, where, you know, tens of thousands of migrants are coming in every month and we don't know who they are. And George, I mean, that's sort of as a final point, I think, to step back from the legal wrangling. This is an absurd way to run immigration enforcement. I mean, we're essentially, everybody's fighting over a measure which is not an immigration measure as the only thing that's, you know, standing between us and complete disaster at the border, although we already have pretty much disaster. My sense has always been, as they say in Russian, as Lenin said, the worse, the better, because this administration has been using, in my opinion, Title 42 as kind of a crutch, as a diversion. And when it goes away, they're going to have to face, and the public is going to have to face, the fact that this administration refuses to enforce the border. And my sense is the sooner it goes away, the better to force that realization and hopefully some kind of change of policy. Mark, I I think in terms of what's driving the Biden administration, you're exactly right. Uh, I wrote last spring that, look, yes, Title 42 is not an immigration provision. It's a public health provision. We're going to have to prepare for it not being there anymore. What can we do when Title 42 isn't there anymore? We need to revigorate the migrant protection protocols and things of that nature to provide an effective replacement within the immigration laws for Title 42. While I was at DHS, I worked on a regulation to, within Title 8, during these pandemic situations, prevent aliens from countries where the epidemic exists from being able to uh, apply for asylum under the national security ineligibility for asylum. Hmm. Uh, it was called the security bars regulation. Unfortunately, its effective date was one day after the inauguration of President Biden. And so what the Biden administration has done is continue to ex- say, oh, we're going to extend the implementation date of this regulation, extend, extend. Just a few weeks ago, they decided to extend it to 2024, 2025, you know, essentially extend it to death. That would right. be a way to deal with these pandemic situations through uh, Title Eight. But I think what the ultimate thing is, Title 42 is the canary in the coal mine. Our Title Eight asylum processing is completely, totally broken, as, as, as you have written and indicated. An administration like the Biden administration thinks every illegal alien should be granted asylum. They're, they're fleeing harm or poverty or war or violence of one sort or another. You know, unfortunately, many of them are going to end up in U.S. cities with murder rates higher than those from the countries they came from. But again, Title 42 wouldn't be a big issue if we didn't have a totally dysfunctional asylum system. And without correcting that through legislation, such as when I was on the Hill, Mr. Goodlatte introduced, or House Republican Study Committee is proposing now, without fixing those things, there is no solution within Title VIII. Which is the immigration law. The immigration laws, that until the immigration laws are fixed, in reality, unless it's the mass use of return to Mexico, Title 42 is the silver bullet. Right. 
Okay, well, thank you, George Fishman and Andrew Arthur from our staff talking about Title 42. There's a lot of ins and outs in this. They have written a number of pieces on this. We'll have some of them linked in the show notes. But the legal wrangling is interesting because that's what's affecting the policy. But the bigger policy question is, shouldn't we be enforcing our immigration laws rather than relying on this public health measure as a kind of crutch and diversion, as it were, from the debate over what our immigration and asylum policies should actually be? So thank you, gentlemen, and we will have you back when there's another notable development on Title 42. Thanks so much, Mark. Thank you, Mark. And finally, I want to offer a few thoughts on the president's visit to El Paso and the immigration border policy that he had announced a couple of days before that. First of all, this, you know, is a photo op, obviously, but politicians do photo ops. That's a perfectly normal, legitimate thing. And quite frankly, demanding that the president visit the border as his opponents have been doing for the past two years is easy enough to respond to. And then, you know, the administration gets to say, well, the president visited the border. What's your problem? The substantial issue was the policy that he announced, the package of policies that supposedly would be addressing the border crisis, even though they still won't use the word crisis. And it has been presented as a kind of carrot and stick approach. They're going to tighten up in some areas, but offer additional ways of getting into the country so that fewer people will feel the need to break the law. The problem is that the stick part, the enforcement part of it, is both deceptive and inadequate. And the carrot part, offering prospective illegal immigrants ostensibly legal ways to get into the country is illegal and actually quite dangerous. Just to start with the stick, two things the administration has said they're going to do. Maybe there'll be some other things when they draft regulations, but the things that they'd highlighted in the announcements that they made last week were one, expanded use of what is called expedited removal. In fact, this was the first bullet point in the White House fact sheet. Expedited removal, as the name suggests, is a way to deport people caught at the border quicker without a formal hearing and the rest of it sort of get them out of the country fast. The thing is, the president already has this authority and as recently as last year, restricted Homeland Security's ability to use it. And now they're advertising that they're going to use it more, which is, uh, you know, nice, except that even that about face doesn't matter much because Expedited removal has a loophole in it where if you just say that you fear being returned, as all the smugglers tell their customers to say, you basically start the screening process for political asylum. And even that wouldn't be a problem if people were detained, held in detention until a decision was made. Problem, of course, is this administration doesn't want to detain people. They think it's wrong to detain illegal aliens. And they, in fact, have asked Congress for less money to detain people than they were appropriated the previous year. So this is one of the two sticks that they were promoting is meaningless. I mean, really, it's not going to do anything. And the second one was specific to 
people from four countries, Cuba, Nicaragua, Venezuela, and Haiti. It's not clear why they picked those countries. There's no real justification for those and not other countries, but they picked those and said that if they don't use a new made-up system that I'll mention in a second to get into the country, quote, legally, unquote, that if they cross the border, they're going to be returned to Mexico. Again, sounds good, but there's several catches. First is Mexico has agreed to take only 30,000 people a month from those four countries being returned across the border. In November, there were 82,000 people who, from those four countries who snuck across the border who were, quote, encountered, unquote. That's the euphemism now for border arrests in November. Well, if we're only taking 30,000, I mean, if Mexico is only accepting back 30,000, what about 30,001? What about that guy? Well, he's going to stay. That's what's going to happen. Also, what about all the other countries in the world? There's 190 plus countries, many of them, uh, you know, very sad places in a lot of ways, worse, certainly worse than Cuba or Nicaragua, and they're not included. So what happens when people from those countries sneak across the border? Mexico hasn't agreed to take them back. And Mexico is a sovereign country. You know, in a sense, it's kind of like a game of hot potato. Once they're in our country, they're our problem. So again, that's the other one of the sticks, as it were, that the administration has touted that isn't going to do what they are telling people it will do. The flip side, the carrots, if you will, are actually kind of alarming. What he's done is create a special program, a parole program, and for frequent listeners, you'll know that parole in the immigration sense is an authority Congress gave the president years ago to let in people who don't have any right to be here, the point being for emergency reasons. You know, you're going to die, the hospital's right on the other side of the border, there's no time for a visa process, so they parole you in and then you leave when you're done or you need to get in to testify on Tuesday at an important criminal trial, that kind of thing. Well, the president is setting up parole programs where it's mass, what they sometimes call categorical parole. In other words, parole for whole categories of people instead of individuals. And this started under Obama, really, in a big way, and this administration has dialed it up to 11, and that's what they propose to do. 360,000 people who have no right to be here being let in just by the president's say-so from those four countries. And then the other thing that they announced, which also is almost certainly unlawful, is something that our own Todd Benzman reported on recently, which is that they're setting up kind of what amounts to the Open Table app, which is for making a reservation at a restaurant, for those of you who use that, sort of an Open Table app for the United States, where people who would have snuck across the border can use this CBP app and get approved, pre-legalized, basically, and just walk up to uh, the port of entry and you know show them their paperwork, and they just get let in and get paroled in again. There's no, there's, there's no authorization for this in the law, and the point of it is not to reduce the flow, but to accommodate the flow and to get people out of the border arrest statistics so the administration can say, look, we've solved this, the number of border arrests is down, even though the actual number of people who have no right to be here 
coming into the country will almost certainly be going up. So it's important that nobody imagine that this is some kind of pivot by the administration, that they are somehow moving to the center, moving to a more sensible or rational immigration policy. This is actually likely to be increasing the very problems with immigration of people who have no right to be here outside the law or beyond the caps that Congress has set in law. And the administration, I think, thinks this is, or hopes anyway, this is going to help them turn the heat down politically on the immigration issue. But since it doesn't represent any real change in policy, I don't expect that, you know, the heat, the political saliency and the political tumult around this issue to actually go away, and it shouldn't be going away. That's it for today for Parsing Immigration Policy. I'm your host, Mark Krikorian. Please feel free to email us if you have any comments, criticisms, uh, whatever you want at center at cis.org. And if you get this podcast on one of the platforms that allows you to rate and review, please do so. And we look forward to having you tune in next week.